was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome to The Wind Was a Beginning. This is a podcast about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 3, Episode 10, When is a Pattern Not a Pattern? Hello, everyone, and thank you for being with us again this week. Justin and Stephen here, and we're ready to talk some more Wheel of Time. Stephen, you doing all right this week? I'm doing great. Uh, it is exciting to get to be here again to talk more about my favorite books. That's great. Um, but before we do that, we have an announcement to make, don't we? We do. Absolutely. Uh, an so important thing is happening. Yeah. So it was brought to our attention within the past couple of weeks that we're a year old now. Yep. <laughs> Uh, we are, uh, you know, maybe kind of getting up on our own two feet, maybe saying a few words that are somewhat intelligible. I don't know, but yeah, we've been at this for a full year and that completely passed us by, but, um, uh, we have another milestone coming up within the next, uh, the next, uh, month, month and a half. And that is our 50th episode, uh, of this podcast. So, uh, what we're going to do for that 50th episode is we're going to have a little contest. And we're going to do a giveaway to one of our amazing listeners who interacts with us on social media. So we've got a couple of prizes that are going to be involved. We are going to give away a fantastic Wheel of Time coffee mug. And along with that, a bag of coffee from my favorite roaster, Big Kick Coffee in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I picked them, first of all, because I love their coffee, but also there's a little bit of a Wheel of Time connection, I guess, because Stephen wasn't uh, Robert Jordan from Charleston. Yes. So I thought that was just a fun little connection. Uh, so. What do we have to do, Stephen? Tell, tell our listeners what they need to do in order to enter this contest. Okay, so you're going to have three chances, uh, but what we want you to do is on a the post for this episode and the next two episodes, if you will uh, like the post on social media, follow it, then comment on the post I would like to share a cup of calf with and then tell us the character from the story so far that you would want to sit down and share a cup of coffee with then share the post with all your friends and let us know and then that will be you could be considered entered at that point and like I said you will have three chances to enter on the this episode and the next upcoming two before we then start to tally the entries and figure out who our winner is. 
Yeah, this is, um, by the way, season three, episode 10. Uh, so episode 10, episode 11, and episode 12, we're going to be running this contest. Uh, entries have to be in by Friday, February 17th, by the end of the day on Friday, February 17th. That is to give us time with our recording schedule to announce the winner on our 50th episode, which is season three, episode 15, releasing on March 7th. So again, uh, Stephen told you all the things that you need to do in order to enter the contest. You can enter once per week during the next three weeks, and we will put your name into the drawing to win some pretty cool prizes from us. And uh, I'm excited about it. And um, uh, I think when I order their coffee, I'm probably going to go ahead and order myself some too, because I I haven't ordered any in a while. Uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, it's um, it's a great thing. So thankful for our listeners. We just want to, you know, give something back and uh, say thank yeah. you for sticking with us for, uh, well, almost 50 episodes now. And, and by, by March, it will have been 50 episodes. Um all right. Uh, that, that's fun. That's uh, something we got going on. Um, but we've got another job to do here tonight, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we got some discussion to get to tonight. <laughs> we have some things to talk about tonight. This may end up being another long one. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what, what, are we, what are we talking about this week, Stephen? So tonight we are going to try and cover... Chapters 24 through 26 of The Dragon Reborn. Uh, if you haven't read those chapters yet, please pause, go read them, and come back. We will be here waiting, uh, but we don't want to spoil this for anybody. So uh, for those of you who, have, who are caught up and have read, we are excited to have you join us tonight. And uh, hopefully y'all will get something out of this as we enjoy talking about it. All right, and now that you've read those chapters, those of you that had to pause and uh, come back and be with us, uh, we're going to dive right into Chapter 24, Scouting and Discoveries. Matt is awake and looking a little better, so he decides to head out and look for ways to get out of the city. But after being disappointed to learn that all of the guards know his name and description, he comes across a familiar face with an unfamiliar attitude. Then he finds his way to the practice yards and ends up in a wager with a couple of fellow Andermen. Okay, where to begin? I guess to begin with Matt, Matt really wants to get out of the city. And he seems to think that despite what the Amerlin said about him needing to stay, that he can find a way out, right? And I love, I love how when he approaches uh, some of the guards how casual he is about it, <laughs> you know, Yeah. how, oh, you know, how, how are things on the other side of the river? Uh, you know, yada, yada, all, all of those things. He's, he's just trying to casually get information and maybe find a way outside of the city, but it's not going to work. Is it? No, he's a, a day late and a dollar short. He should he have, sure uh, if he wanted out, he should have uh, made his way there a little bit quicker because he uh, apparently 
the Aes Sedai showed up just the night before, giving out his description and rules about what to do with him for every single guard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and didn't it say something like they uh, almost like drilled his description into the guards, like made yep. absolutely sure they knew every detail and could do... Every, you know, would would know who this was when they saw him. And sure enough, you know, Matt, <laughs> what was it? It was like he, he was just kind of casually talking about what's going on outside and guards like, but yeah. that's not going to be any concern of yours because you're not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like there's bike cloaks on that side and there's bike cloaks on the other side. Other side. So... But that shouldn't bother you because you ain't going there anyway. <laughs> but you're going to be staying right here. Uh, yeah. So, but he's still determined. He's he's going to find a way out. Maybe he can find somewhere where maybe there aren't any guards or like a secret passage or something. But then he runs into a familiar face, a face we haven't seen in a while, but we know is in the White Tower. Uh, our old friend Els Grinwell yeah. is... Running along, and but she's acting kind of strange. Uh, something is not right. She, you know, you would think, you think maybe she'd have been thrilled to see Matt. You maybe because they, they they met while Matt and Rand were traveling to. Um, is why they were traveling to Camelin, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, and um, um, I do wa- I do wonder if maybe it has something to do with the fact that Matt was not exactly the most uh, sociable of people. That's true. Because he was within the thrall of the dagger at the time. That's true. I'd kind of forgotten about that when they met. But um, he seems to think, though, she should have been happy to see him. Uh, Although, you know, something I noticed, you know, maybe, you know, I would at least maybe expect her to ask about Rand. Because she definitely had eyes for Rand uh, when they last saw her. So I would have expected her to ask some questions, but she is not acting normally. Uh, anything you can, <laughs> you can say at this point, uh, I know, I, you know, there, there, there might be an answer later in tonight's episode, but yeah, all um, I would say is pay attention to the eyes and pay attention to how she's just overall her, how she holds herself. Okay. Why well, don't could you could you break that down for us a little bit more? Because sure, I, I kind me... of, I, I kind of, I, I missed. I, I I guess I was just caught up in in what was happening. I didn't pay too close attention to yeah. those descriptions. Yeah, let me get get it pulled up real quick. Grab my copy of the book at the same time. Let's see. All right. Those large, dark eyes seemed more knowing than he remembered, and not nearly so warm. And then, just the overall... uh, I know you, she said. Her manner was not as he remembered, either. He thought she could give Elaine lessons now. So she's she's coming across very haughty and aloof, and those eyes are just... Uh, more, I, I don't want to be mean to L's, but the eyes are more intelligent. <laughs> like there's more going on behind those well, eyes than he I would mean, expect from L's. And, 
and from Matt's perspective, he even said they were more knowing. Yeah. But at the end, he, he chalked it up to her Aes Sedai training. Yeah. You know, that's the way he think he, what he thinks is going on. But, uh, there may be reason to think there's, uh, something else. I don't know. Uh, it's just not <laughs> the L's that we remember. And, um, definitely not the one that Matt remembers. Yeah. Um, but there might be more to say about that later. Uh, let's let's get on to I guess the, I guess the main part of this chapter, and that's Matt finding his way to the practice yards where the warders are training. Uh, mm-hmm. Running into a couple of other familiar faces, though I don't think Matt's familiar with the these faces, is he? I, I don't. Uh, I mean, he he recognizes by, like he recognizes them by description, not right, that he right. has ever met them. He hasn't actually met. Galad and Gowan uh, before. By the way, I loved that when Matt, his initial impression of Galad is so different from what we normally get. Like, he <laughs> recognizes, he recognizes that Galad is good looking. <laughs> but Matt's exact words or his thoughts were almost as pretty as a girl. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and that just, that, that, that made me laugh to uh, think that, you know, all of these girls, you know, fawning over this man, even some of the Aes Sedai, the full sisters we're going to see. And I think we've been told that already that they are. And then Matt says, he looks kind of like a girl. <laughs> yep. Um, He's too pretty. No man too, has any business being that pretty. Yeah. Not like, from Matt's point of view. <laughs> there, instead of handsome, it's pretty. Yeah. Which yeah, has a very different connotation. <laughs> it, it, you're right. You're right. Uh, and from Matt's point of view, it, he's it, that's the way it, it is and the way it should be. Um, but by, by the way, this, this whole scene I just thought was fantastic. I loved oh, yeah. it. I drank this whole thing up. I thought it was incredible. But, but what do you think? Is, I mean, you know, long story short, and we already kind of touched on this. They, they, they talk back and forth a little bit. They, they end up making this wager that Matt can take them both down with his quarterstaff before they can hit him once with the sword. Yeah. And which seems like big talk. But as yeah, it turns for out, a farm boy, <laughs> yeah, as it turns out, Matt was exactly right. What do you think? What do you think's going on here? Uh, this whole thing from the minute he leaves the tower and goes searching for the guards, to me, everything that happens here, his running into elves, his coming here, to me, it reeks of Taviran. Okay. Okay. See, I, uh, I didn't. I don't guess I, I picked up on that, but, you know. It seems like the whole thing just seems a little bit too convenient. Yeah. Everything keeps just falling. Like, he's going where he needs to be, seeing the people he needs to see. When he has no, like, he's not searching for anything in particular. It's just he keeps stumbling into these things. Hmm. The only ones he sought out himself were the guards. He wasn't looking for elves, ran into her. He wasn't yeah. looking for the warders. He wasn't looking for this. He was looking for a chance to find a way out. Yeah. What does he need? He needs money. And so he's presented with an opportunity to gain that money. That's that's right. That's true. 
Um, uh, and he does. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, quite so, handily. Yeah. So you think Matt's just uh, that good with a quarter staff, or you think his his Tavira nature is is at play, or no? Okay. I think. Uh, I think uh, we are seeing a side effect of the healing still. What do you mean? Um, the way in which Matt fights here. Uh, we okay. have seen Matt use a quarterstaff. We have seen Matt use a bow uh, against Trollocs and such. Yeah. Um, he was never, like, bad with them, but he was not skilled. Okay. What we see here, especially after he... He, he takes the fight with Gowan... That, I could see any basic guy with a quarterstaff could manage that. Like, he cracks him in the head, he goes down. What happens with Galad, however, that is something else. Uh, he's not fighting like a person, or even makes mention of it. Uh, he's not fighting like a person with a quarterstaff would fight. He's fighting like a spearman. Hmm. Using a quarterstaff, the moves okay. that he uses at the end there to disable Galad, yeah, those aren't the kind of moves that you teach a shepherd to ward off sheep, or that some village would teach a, a kid to do at a festival, like he talks about his dad doing at the festival every year. Mm-hmm. He has to stop himself at the very end because he's going for a killing blow. Yeah, I, I did pick up <laughs> on that. That it was almost like. Um, you know, almost like there was another part of himself that took over when he yeah, was I think it's when he those, was in the fight. I think it is what he has gained from those what I call new old memories. Uh, I think he's gained a little bit, almost like a muscle memory slash some of the skills of the people's lives that he is remembering. Because, so you know, he spits out the old tongue. Right. And then at the end, when they ask where he's from, he says he's from Manetherin. He says Manetherin, yeah. Yeah. I think he's slipping. The, when he gets into the fight, I think he slips into the fight. And I think his body and mind are basically channeling a spearman from Manetherin. And that's who's fighting. Interesting. That is definitely something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, yeah. So it, it's kind of like uh, the the past life or the lives that he's remembering are kind of bleeding over into his own. Yeah. And, and, and I, I guess think we, at the end, it's really scaring him what's happening too. Yeah, I think so. And I guess that I mean, we, we do see that with, you know, the speaking in the old tongue and like you mentioned him, you know, without even thinking, he blurts out Manetherin rather than yeah. the two rivers. And he does correct himself, by the way. Um, yeah. So what lesson did we learn from this fight? <laughs> Stick beat sword. <laughs> uh, it actually turns out that they're the, the, the warder that was training them was using this. The reason he's so adamant that they had this fight was that it's a teaching moment. And he reminded them of a man named uh, Jerem. 
the greatest blade master ever who was only defeated once by a farmer with a quarterstaff. Yep. Um, so interesting, uh, little bit of knowledge there and, you know, don't, uh, don't doubt the guy with the big stick. <laughs> what what yeah, is it? Speak, 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 speak softly, carry a big stick. <laughs> yeah. Just from a, from a logistic, like real world perspective, the quarterstaff has a lot of advantages against a person with a sword. Yeah. Um, because you have reach. You do. The sword you has do. to be able to get in close unless you're, you know, one of these Scotsmen wielding the claymore. You know, typically speaking, a sword, especially the kind that Galad and Gowan would be, would be using here, you've got to get in close to your opponent, and yeah. you have to be able to make slashing motions or stabbing motions. The quarterstaff is ideally designed to keep them at a distance, and if you know what you're doing, you can attack, like just like Matt does, go after the joints and small areas and disable your opponent before they can get even get into a dangerous position. Yeah, man, that, that can be, it sounds exciting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of make me, makes me want to play a monk in our next, uh, our next D and D campaign, <laughs> uh, which I've been thinking about. I will doing say anyway. I have, I have you. I use reach weapons almost exclusively in D anD. d and it's all in, it's always inspired by this scene right here. Oh, is that right? Okay. <laughs> yep. Uh, a, a farmer with a quarterstaff uh, beats two swordsmen. Uh, yep. Two very well trained swordsmen, by the way. I mean, Gowan and Galad are no slouches. Yeah, they they may maybe not blade masters, but they're no slouch. I would um, say that Galad is pretty near to one. I mean, he is surpassing some of the other warders. Not his teacher, but he is at the same level, if not better, than some of the other warders at this point. Okay. So. All right. But, he's not Lan, but. <laughs> right. But he's still he's still quite skilled. Uh, yeah. You know, one other thing that I, I wanted to mention here, and I don't know if there's a. Uh, much to say about it, but I, I just, I could not help but pick up how interested they were in Rand, uh, particularly Gawain. Uh, yeah. he, he especially has, shows some interest in, in Rand. And I, I was trying to figure out why that might be other than, I mean, I know they have met him and they know that, um, you know, they probably heard, maybe heard some rumors or, or things like that, but I was trying I don't to figure think it out has what... anything to do with any rumors. I can I was... tell you right now, I think, why it is. Why is what do you think then? Egwene. Oh, uh, okay. Uh so They're it's, it's both all... both of these brothers want Egwene, and they know that Rand and Egwene were promised. Okay. It's basically they're trying to get the skinny on their rival, is what's ah, happening. Got it, got it, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They view Rand as competition for Egwene. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Uh. And I would venture to say as well, Gowan may also be intrigued and wanting to find out more because of how his sister has acted around Rand. Right, right. I, that, I thought that might have something to do with it too. 
Well, at the end of the day, they don't get any information on Rand, and they also their 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 purses are a little bit lighter. Uh, thanks, yep. thanks to Matt, and Matt's gets a little bit heavier. He's he's on his way uh, to getting some of the money that he needs. Uh, so, are you ready to move on to chapter twenty five then? I am ready. Yeah, because there is a lot in this chapter that we have to talk about. So, chapter twenty five questions. Egwene, Elaine, and Nynaeve puzzle over Varen's information and may discover something that they had not seen before. Perhaps there are answers in the world of dreams, and Egwene is ready to take that next step. But first, an unexpected messenger, a strange encounter with an all-too-familiar yet beautiful face. All right... We have got to dive in to Egwene's dreams. Um, because she's had quite a few of them, hasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, this <laughs> first little bit is just like, wham, bitty, bam, bitty, bam, bam, bam. There's dream after dream after dream. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and let's, let's go, maybe go ahead and get this out of the way. To me... This may be confirming that, yes, Egwene is a dreamer. That she is, because, and, and I'm, I'm going to mention this, some of the things that she sees in her dreams sound, some of them are actually almost identical to things we have heard from men who we know yeah. is reading, what, what, how is it described? She's reading the pattern? Yeah. So that means that would mean perhaps that Egwene is somehow doing the same thing, but through dreams. Yeah. Would that would that be accurate? I think to a degree, men is by far and above more accurate. I would well, say, well, here's what I would say. What men sees is a hundred percent gonna happen. What Egwene sees, I think, is more dealing with what what we talked about with uh, Varen in the last episode, how with the portal stones and how the the roads of If. Yeah. I think what Egwene is seeing when she's dreaming here is possibilities. Okay. Um, Now, some of them definitely overlap with what men sees. Yeah. But – it is not as certain. Like if okay. men sees it, that's a guarantee. Right. I don't right. think these have that level of like certainty about them. Okay. Okay. Um, well, there's there's a few dreams that she just dismisses and says, "Oh, they're they're nothing more than nightmares." Uh, yeah. Like you know, um, she dreams about the things she saw in the Tirangrial when she was being tested. Um, she dreams about the Shan Chan. Collaring a long line of Aes Sedai and then forcing them to attack the tower, um, which yeah. she chalks up to just, you know, her fears from her experience with the Shan Chan. Uh, she dreams of white cloaks binding her father's hands, but to her it just means she's homesick. Yeah. Uh, that, that's that's how, how she dismisses that one. I don't know that... You know, the first one about the stuff she saw in the Tirangrial, I can maybe see that just being a nightmare, but I don't know about those other two. 
I just wonder if there there's some possibility in there that Egwene may be seeing something that could happen in the future. Yeah. I don't know why White Cloaks would uh, arrest uh, her father, but, you know, White Cloaks being White Cloaks, who knows? Yeah. Um, anything to say on those? Um, I wanted to look. Did, did we get any specifics about the one she's talking about with the Terangriel? I don't think we do. No, I think it just, she would, she dreamed about the things that, that she saw. Okay. I'd have to look at that too. I wondered about that, whether or not there were some aspects of what she saw in the Terangriel that was being repeated, but we're not given specifics, so I can't say yeah. on that. Uh, I think maybe these ones are maybe a mix. Um, obviously, we'll just kind of have to wait and see. Uh, but they do seem a little bit like I would not so easily chalk them up to just being nightmares as Egwene does. Right. I, I was kind of thinking the same they thing. Because they seem oddly out of like they seem oddly out of character for a nightmare. Like yeah. if she's having a nightmare about the Sean Chan, it would seem like that would be something like a nightmare about being collared again or about, yeah. you know, her and the Sean Chan. And instead she's having a nightmare about random Aes Sedai being forced to fight the tower by the Sean yeah. Chan, it, it doesn't seem to connect necessarily with her experiences. Uh, you know, it seems a little out of place. Same thing with the white cloaks uh, tying up her dad. I mean, that's obviously she's had experience with white cloaks, but yeah. what the heck does that have anything to do with her dad? That's the thing. I, mean, I, for, I don't buy that that would be homesickness. That just say, for that weird. To- for that to just be about homesickness, that is oddly specific. Yeah. You know, there there are, I, I can think of so many different things she could dream about that were homesickness, but that just seems so oddly specific to be just a nightmare. But there's, there's more dreams that, that we have to talk about. Um, dreams yep. about her friends, particularly some dreams about Rand to begin with, and then some about Perrin. And Matt later on. I want to go ahead and mention this quote um, that's mentioned that a dreamer's dreams about Taverin were almost always significant. And the more strongly Taverin, the more almost always became certainly. So the fact that she's dreaming about Rand, Matt, and Perrin, they're all three Taverin. They're all three pretty strongly Taviran, so these dreams are significant. <laughs> yeah. In some I would way. say on the scale of Taviran, Perrin and Matt are basically on the same level as like Arter Hawkwing was. Yeah, that's still a Whereas, pretty strong pull. <laughs> yeah. Well, but Rand is on like a whole nother level. Yeah, like Rand is said to basically be as strongly Taviran as you can possibly, like, you can't get more Taviran than Rand is. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah. Um, say, so do you have her dreams about Rand there in front I of do. you? You want to you yep. want to share some of those with us? Sure. So this one should seem awfully familiar. Reaching for a sword that seemed to be made of crystal. However, while we have seen that taking place, you know, in 
there were dreams that were being forced into everyone's mind by Rand yeah. and everything. We know we know exactly what that sword is. Sounds an awful uh, lot like Kalindor. Yeah. What we haven't seen before is the second part. Uh, Rand yeah. is reaching for the sword, never seeing the fine net dropping over him. And then there is one of him kneeling in a chamber uh, where a parched wind blew dust across the floor and creatures like the ones on the dragon banner, but much smaller, floated on the wind and settled into his skin. Uh, Let's, I want to pause about those just before you read yeah. the others, those two. You know, is is that first one suggesting that Kalindor is a trap? I don't see how you could read it any other way. (laughs) That's kind of what it sounds like. And then with the second one, the thought that came to my mind was, you know, there's something in the prophecies about him being marked as the dragon. And that kind of sounds like what's happening there. So, yeah, uh, go ahead. Twice and twice shall he be marked. Right. Twice the heron and uh, twice the dragon. Yep. Uh, go ahead with the other ones. All right. Uh, there had been a dream of him walking down into a great hole in a black mountain, a hole filled with a reddish glare from a vast fire below. Okay. And even so the okay, yeah. Let's stop there, say, and then we'll do the last one. Yeah. So we're 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 going to Mount Doom, right? Yeah, I don't see we're, how we're supposed we're, to think that's anything else. We're, we're, I'm, I'm talking about we're, we're going to destroy the ring, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I guess, I mean, the, uh, I, yeah, what, what do you think that is? Is that? Um, I mean, I think that's supposed to, we're supposed to assume that that's Shell Ghoul. That's kind of where I was at, too. Uh, that's the only thing I yeah. can think of. Uh, Which, I mean, we know be. that that's the point. I mean, we talked about it. Rand even talked about it too. The blood of the dragon on the the rocks of Shell Rule. Shell, yeah. yeah. So we know that's the end game. So, right. We kind of think we're going to get there eventually, anyway. So, yeah. Maybe not so surprising. Uh, there's one more, right? Yeah. Uh, even a dream of him confronting the Shan Chan. But the Shan Chan are gone, right? <laughs> they're 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 never coming back, right? <laughs> yeah. And didn't didn't Rand already confront them? I mean, he tossed them back well, into did. the sea. So he did. So that that's all that is is you know she's just kind of uh, I don't know which she she's she's thinking about that. So yeah, um, but she knew it had to mean something because of the fact that he's Tavirin. He's very strongly Tavirin, so she knows it has to mean something. Um, but Rand's not the only one that she dreams of. She dreams of Perrin and Matt as well. A couple of things about Perrin. First of all, and this is the one that I guess stood out to me uh, the most. Perrin with a falcon on his shoulder and Perrin with a hawk. Uh, She's convinced that both of them are female and the hawk had a leash in her talons trying to fasten it around Perrin's neck. Well, we've seen at least part of that before. Because right. men saw something about a falcon and a hawk. And I believe she... Did she say something about them both being female or... I can't remember. Uh, I I think so. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking she did. But I know at least she saw the falcon and the hawk. 
Um, yeah, she but the see, leash is new. Yeah, the leash is new. Um, and, of course, that would stand out to Egwene because yeah. of her experiences. Second thing she saw with Perrin is uh, he had a beard, which was new, and leading a huge pack of wolves. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, but she is at least somewhat aware that Perrin has some kind of connection with wolves, right? I mean, she met Elias with Perrin. Yeah. So she knows that's a thing. Yeah. And, a, and she, she would she, have seen his eyes actively changing while they were still together. Right. And known what that meant. So maybe, you know, she, she maybe knows a little bit about what's going on there. But to see him leading a pack is probably, and, and ha- having a beard apparently is surprising to her. Um, yeah, and it is, uh, I wanted to bring this up real quick before we moved past that. Yeah. Um, it is not just a pack of wolves. It is a huge pack of wolves that right. stretched as far as the eye could see. Uh, so it's not like, oh, Perrin's running around with a couple of wolves. No, we're talking like Perrin is is leading an army of wolves. Right. <laughs> uh Interesting. Um, all right. Matt. She has some dreams about Matt as well. Uh, and this yeah. is another. And she's this is disturbed another by them because they seem nasty. Yeah. The first one, especially. See, she sees him placing his own left eye on a balance scale. And I believe we men saw something along those lines somewhere way back when. She so, saw an eye. On a balance scale, she did not see him placing it there. But she saw it uh, when she looked at Matt, right? Yes. Okay. I still need to do that document of all of her visions, compile them into one, so we can reference it easy. And I guess I need to do that with Egwene's dreams now, too. Um, <laughs> she also sees Matt hanging by his neck from a tree limb, which yep. is ominous. Um, and I don't yeah. think we've seen anything related to that before now, have we? I think this no. is, this is brand new. This is the first mention of this. Okay. Uh, there's a dream about Matt and the Sean Chan, which she just dismisses as a nightmare. Was there any detail given to that one? I don't remember. Nope. That's all she says. Just Matt and Sean Chan. Okay. Uh, and, and that's, well, that is specific there. Uh, it, a dream of Matt and Sean Chan, not Matt and the Sean Chan or some Sean Chan. It is a dream of Matt and Sean Chan proper. So, like, I guess that would indicate, like, the nation of Sean Chan as opposed to an individual Sean Chan person. I suppose you could read it that way. I I just thought of it as, um, you know, Sean Chan, just like in a general sense. Gotcha. Um, either way for her, she just dismisses it as a nightmare. Uh, yeah, she doesn't think there's anything to it. And then she dreams about him speaking the old tongue, which again, she's heard him do that, uh, yeah. on more than one occasion. So that's probably nothing significant to that. Um, so, I mean, I think there's some evidence there to suggest that Egwene is a dreamer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's she's definitely seeing something significant, and the fact that she's seeing some of the same things that men sees 
tells me that there's 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 more to these than just dreams. So, yeah. Um, but what do you have to say about it? I I have a personal theory. Okay. Um, and you can give me your opinion once I I tell it. And listeners, you're welcome to argue with me in the comments or send us an email. I have a feeling and a theory here. I think that while Egwene had some natural inkling of an ability with dreaming, I think that the events that just happened to her in those arches, the reverberation with the stone ring tear on Grial, the severity of the event that happened, I think that has basically, she had this little spark of a gift that maybe could have become something more. I think what happened and the influence of those Terangrial and how they worked using Terangrial, I think basically that has uh, supercharged or exploded. Like it basically was the catalyst, in my opinion. Okay. Because we've seen like. A little bit of dream here, a little bit there beforehand, but all of a sudden, the night after this happens, she's just getting dream after dream after dream after dream. Yeah. Uh, to me, I think what was laying under the surface before that maybe could have become something with some nurturing and training and years has basically been kicked into overdrive by an unnatural source. Something I hadn't really, something I hadn't really thought about, uh, but now that you mention it, the fact that so much at once is, yeah. um, cause, cause all of these, I'm, I'm assuming all of these came in the same night. Yeah. It's in the same night. Well, that, that's a lot for, for one night. And I know like, you know, I think there's some, you know, thoughts that, you know, we have several dreams a night and I never remember any, but, um, I think yeah. that's a, that's significant too. She has all these dreams. She remembers all of these dreams. Yeah. Um, it's so. it's kind of like, in my opinion, uh, for folks that are comic book or Marvel fans, you have Captain America, and he's got he's been given the super soldier serum, but he's still just regular old uh, Steve until they put him in the chamber with the Vita rays, and they they hit him. And that's yeah. when everything reacts and he becomes Captain America. He, he, yeah, it's kind of okay. that experience, I think, is what's happening here. Egwene's becoming Captain America. <laughs> uh, she's <laughs> becoming see. the dreaming uh, version what? of Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> Dreamwalker. <laughs> uh, okay, that's that's interesting. And I'm looking forward to coming back to more of this. Um as I guess we spend more time with Egwene in the future. Uh, so that'd be something yeah. to look forward to when we get to chapters about her. But that's not all that happens in this chapter. <laughs> not by a long time. <laughs> that <shot>. is just <laughs> a small part of this chapter. We still have so much to discuss here. And it begins with them trying to, or I guess more specifically, Elaine trying to puzzle out information that the, the information that Varen gave uh, Egwene yeah. about the sisters who left the tower 
and the Tirangrial that were stolen. And they had, uh, it seems like they had spent quite a bit of time pouring over these papers. Well, at least pouring over the list of names and that information. They kind of left the Tirang, they, they looked at the Tirangrial list and then put it to the side and, and seemed like they were kind of afraid of it. Yeah. Uh, but they kept going, or at least, yeah, they kept going over this list of names to the point that Nynaeve is kind of getting fed up. <laughs> she thinks it's a waste of time, that there's nothing there that's valuable. And then it's Elaine that starts to notice uh, a pattern that's not really a pattern or not supposed to be seen as a pattern, or <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what was going on. You're in the same uh, state that she's in. She thinks she yeah. discovers a pattern, but then she's like, am I looking, am I making things out of nothing? Like she can't trust what she's seeing. And they're, they're basically grasping at straws, trying to put things together, but they may have stumbled onto something. Yeah. I mean, when, when is a pattern, not a pattern? That's the question. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, cause, cause she notices, you know, all of these, she comes to the conclusion that it's, it's too neat mm-hmm. to have been mere chance. Every Aja, other than the Red, lost two sisters. Uh, the Red only lost one, that being Leandrin. Um, none of them were born in the same city. No more than two born in the same country. Their ages spread uh, across a pretty vast array. The youngest being maybe 15 years older than Egwene and Elaine. The oldest being old enough to be their great-grandmother's great-grandmother, which tells you something about how long Aes Sedai live. Yeah. And Elaine's point is that, like she said, like I said, it's it's all too neat to have just been chance. If it was completely random, why, why wouldn't there be, you know, a couple from the same city or three from three or four from one Aja and maybe none from another. Why yeah, it is it so neatly too spread? regulated and regimed? It's like she said, it's too, it's too clean. Yeah. It's too clean, which leads to <laughs> the horrible conclusion that these are probably not the only members of the black Aja. These yeah. are just the ones that they selected to, cause this uproar to leave the tower. Yeah, because the only two conclusions you can draw is one of them is almost laughable, would be that the dark that Balsamon selected ahead of time these specific women that were in specific roles from specific places. Like The only way you get to this kind of organization is either with an ex- absurd amount of pre-planning or yeah. division after the fact. Yeah, you you have a... The, the most likely scenario is you have a wider pool to select from. Yeah. And so you you, you select the specific, specific ones that you need. Yeah. Um, and it's... I guess it's worth investigating. Of course, Egwene also, you know, recognizes 
the possibility it could just be a ruse to get them to focus on that <laughs> and yeah. and waste their time. So it's kind of this it goes back again, when is a pattern not a pattern? Yeah. Is it worth following up on? Is it, you know, w- w- what are we supposed to do now? <laughs> so uh what if we just end up wasting our time doing this? How are we supposed to go forward? And that's only a part of the information that they have. Yeah. And they're so <laughs> afraid of like picking up a false trail or something that they don't trust when they try and find real trail. Like it's just very, it's paranoia again, taking yeah. hold. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're doubting themselves, but you know, I think Egwene does have a point though, that it's, it's so neat and clean. It's so it looks so intentional that it could be deception. Yeah, you know it's. Uh, bless their hearts. They shouldn't have to be dealing with this at such a young age. No, because these girls are what like eighteen, seventeen, eighteen years old. Nynaeve's at this may, point, may, maybe no. nineteen. Yeah, I think Nynaeve at this point would be in her, like, very early 20s. Yeah, yeah, Nynaeve's a little uh, bit If older. not at 20, because it's been about a year, so... Right. Egwene and Elaine should be right around 18 at this point. Okay, okay. That's too young to have to deal with something like this. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Um, those poor girls. Uh, but there's other pieces to the puzzle. Yeah. Uh, these Tirangriol. Uh, what do we? Yep. What can we say about these Tirangriol? There's a, quite a few of them. Nobody knows what they do, or at least we don't know what they do. Um, yeah, Varen didn't know what they do. Did she? Okay, the paper she gave Egwene said that they don't know what they do. <laughs> Here's the thing: who is the one? Uh, and they, this is a point that the girls noticed too. Who's the one who cataloged and like wrote what is written about these most of these Terangriol? Well, I'm trying to figure out. Are you, are you asking me who was the last one to study these? Uh huh. Okay, that that was Coriana Nadil. Uh huh. The same one who had the ring that Egwene now has in her possession. So yeah, the same one that Varen has a journal from that she didn't ah, pass along to Egwene. Ah, okay. So you think there could be some information in that journal? I have a feeling that that journal that Varen didn't give her contains information not just about that s- single stone ring. But about these but others about as well. all of the Terangriol that she studied. Okay. All right. So would you say that it, it's Varen that wrote down that they were unknown use? Um, yes. So Varen, Varen passed on that information, but she might be holding something back. Yes. Okay. And given who it was that studied them last, is it? a possibility that they have something to do with dreaming? We know for a fact that at least one of them does um, in some way. Egwene mentions that she thinks that's the case. Um, 
not not that they're given specifics. I don't mean that, but yeah, Egwene is pretty convinced that at least one of them has in some way tied, just like the stone ring. Okay. My other question, uh, and unless do you have another thought in that line, because no, I have something ahead. else to bring up. Go ahead. All right. So Coriana Nadil studied these Terangrial. She's listed as the one who was the last to study them. It is remarkably interesting to me that she would be the one who studied them. And these specific ones that she studied would be the 13 ones that these 13 sisters decided to take. It makes me wonder how much we should have trusted or how much we can trust Coriana Nadil. Do we perhaps suspect her of having been Black Aja? Mm. That would mean there's a long history of Black Aja in the White Tower. <laughs> yeah. Because she was here almost 500 years ago. So. Yep. Uh, so you, you're wondering if, you know, she, she could have been a part of it all that time ago. And now it's just finally kind of coming to a, finally coming to a head. Cause my thought here is, so she writes down that despite the fact that she was the last one to study it, she could never figure out what they did or if at best the information they're given is pretty sketchy. My question is, is that – were those her true results or were those the results she gave to the tower? And did she perhaps give what the Terangrial actually do to her dark masters? So that now when these Black Aja Aes Sedai needed to go and get these Terangrial, they actually knew exactly what they were looking for because they had the real results of her research. Okay. So, so, so the, the shadow's been playing the long game. You're suggesting, <laughs> yeah, possibly, possibly. We don't know yeah, this possibly. to be sure. This is all conjecture on my part. Yeah, I just want to get this conversation going. I, I think there's I, a lot of possibilities here. I'm here for it, and and you really make me think about it because I had not really, I don't know. I guess I was just taking Varen's word for everything. Um, well, I'm not I, saying that it's necessarily a. I'm not trying to give suspicion to Varen. Oh no, I'm, I'm not saying that I you think, were. Yeah, yeah. I, I would just, you know, I, I was kind of taking her information as the information that's known. Yeah. But I do think it's even suggested that you know it's possible that the Black Sisters do know what these things do. Yeah. So that's a. I mean, it, it would strong... indicate if they t went to all the trouble of stealing them that they have some reason and, like, someone knows what they do. Yeah. It, whether it be the Black Sisters specifically or somebody pulling their strings, yeah. they, it's too precise and targeted for them to have just grabbed a random handful. Right. They weren't just, <laughs> they weren't just grabbing at random, they grabbed something specific. Yeah, they, they had so a somewhere goal along the chain, somebody knows what those do. Okay. Um. Well, and when we get into the items that we know what they do, there might be something to that. Yeah. 
because uh, we get a f- description of a few of them that their 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 use is known. Four of them have something to do with sleep. Yep. Uh, there's one. It's a. I have it written down. It's a tiny wood wooden carving of a hedgehog, which would put to sleep any woman who tried to channel through it. And then there are three others that had to do with sleep in some way. So, if the ones we don't know what they do have something to do with dreaming, and now we've got others that have something to do with sleep, I'm starting to put pieces together. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, there is uh, definitely something. Uh, There's a pattern. But when is a pattern not a pattern? <laughs> <laughs> but there is one of the Terangrial that stands out like a sore thumb. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and and Varen made sure of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you want to explain this one to us? Yeah, so I want to make sure I read the proper description here. Where's it at? Here we go. Okay. Uh, well, there was actually two that kind of stand out. Um, yeah, but I know which one you were thinking one, of. <laughs> the first one is the fluted rod of black stone, a full plate, a full pace in length that produced balefire, <laughs> with the notion dang- with the no- notation dangerous and almost impossible to control, writ so strong in Varen's hand that it tore the paper in two places. <laughs> Varen wanted to make sure they knew <laughs> how dangerous yeah. this Tirangrial is. Um, we have not been properly introduced to Balefire yet, have we? Not yet. So we we don't, at this point in the reading, we don't know what that is. No, um, we've heard it mentioned and Egwene even mentioned it herself in in the in uh, the third archway yeah. in her trials. Yeah, but she didn't know why or what it was. Um, well, um, I I'm just gonna take Varen's word on this. I'm gonna assume it's dangerous. Yeah. Do you think <laughs> she's saying that Balefire is dangerous, or that the Terangrial is the dangerous, or both? I well. I'm thinking the Tirangrial is dangerous because it produces bale fire. Um, you know, <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah. So. Yeah. So what's the other notable Tirangrial that was taken? Uh, the other one I think is just notice notable because uh, we've just had referenced and uh, they keep talking about how much Matt would enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, it's the one that apparently can uh, change the balance of chance. Right. <laughs> uh, so that that's suspend chance in some way or twist it. Yeah. You know, making dice always come up uh, crowns or making a quarter stand on head a hundred times when you flip it or right. always land on its side. And uh, so it's a very peculiar little... Terangrial for them to have chosen to steal. Um, yeah, but it seems like though it could be, you know, I'm trying to think of the way 
I, I want to word this. It could be useful to them for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, because they are, you know, kind of entering into a lot of unknown, a lot of uncertainty. I'm talking about the, the, uh, the black Aja, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're taking a chance because, you know, they've been yeah. hiding, they've been hiding possibly for centuries in the white tower. And now they're making themselves known. Yeah. Why not uh, grab something that's going to help you um, kind of put the odds in your favor? A magical good luck charm. It's more than that. <laughs> yeah. It is more than that for sure. It's definitely interesting. The choices that are being made here, the Terran Griol that were taken and just the information that the girls are having to deal with. It's Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's clear that it's it's not random. Um no. even even those last two, I I I they were taken for a specific reason. And does it go all the way back to Koryana Nidal is or does it go back further than that? Um maybe we'll find out one day. Maybe you already know <laughs> and you're not uh you can't tell us anything. But um yeah, there's there's a lot to ponder over that. But we're still not done with this chapter. <laughs> nope. Um they 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 discuss all of this for a while and finally you know come to the conclusion that um you know this Tyrion Griol that Egwene's been given might be somehow connected to these others as well maybe using it could lead to some answers so that's kind of their next step in the plan uh as it were but there's an interruption uh, somebody is standing there in the doorway, apparently bringing a message from the Omerlin seat, none other than Els Grinwell, which my first thought was the same as, um, <laughs> as the rest of them. How in the light could the Omerlin seat trust Els Grinwell with a message like this? Yeah, which the message also, the message has something to do with the you know the Black Aja and the location of the belongings they had left behind. Yeah, so I do want to say uh, I also am concerned, and I think we should be too. Egwene and Elaine just kind of notice that she's standing in the doorway. How long do you think she's been standing there? I, I don't even want to begin to think about how long she had been there, <laughs> how much she had heard. Um, yeah. Especially when, saw. yeah, especially when we think about what happens next. Yep. Because when Egwene goes chasing after her, she's already, you know, first of all, she runs, which seems strange. Um, <laughs> And then when Egwene takes off chasing after her and, you know, finally starts to catch up, the she she turns around and it's not Els Grinwell at all. It is a, yeah. well, an appearance that has become quite familiar to us. Yep. But I think this may be the first time Egwene is seeing this face. Uh, this sounds an awful lot like Lanfear. Yeah. Or, or, I or think... is it, or is it Celine? 
Or is it Els? Or is it Els? Has Els has been Lanfear the whole time. From from the moment we met her in book one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, that would be something. That would be something. Oh my goodness. Um <laughs> No, but this just this raises so many questions. Uh you know. What was that even else? And yeah. I don't think it was. <laughs> no, uh, my, I don't my, think it was either. It, it, it sounds to me, I mean, I guess it's not fully confirmed, but it sounds like to me it was it was Lanfear in disguise, disguising herself as Els Grinwell. And if that's the case, who did Matt speak to in the last chapter? <laughs> is that why she was acting so weird? Oh, and another question. Where's the real Els? Yeah. What what happened to her? I mean, that that's concerning as well. Uh so a lot of questions. A lot of questions and Egwene has questions, but she doesn't get to ask them. No. I think maybe we need to to backtrack for a second. Okay. Um, and kind of break this down bit by bit. Okay. Um, because we we got excited to confront her running off, and we forgot to mention what her message was. <laughs> well, I, I I did mention that it was about um, the Black Aja and where their belongings were, the things that they okay. left behind. Okay. I, I just mentioned uh, it kind of kind case, of kind of in passing, kind of quickly. We did kind of yeah. almost skip over it. But yeah. Which is the whole reason they go running after her is because they don't like they're flabbergasted that the Omerlin would choose Els Grinwell of all people well, I, I to carry this kind of a message. That that the Omerlin would would have the, a novice deliver yeah. a message like that, let alone Els Grinwell. Um, you know, because this is all supposed to be so secretive. Yeah, you know, at the at the very least, if the if the Omerlin wanted to deliver a message by the hand of someone else, I I would think at least write it down and seal it. (laughs) Don't deliver it by word of mouth. (laughs) Yeah, there's no reason that she would ever tell. Like, she would not want to even acknowledge the existence of the Black Aja to a novice. Yeah, she (laughs) there. I would say there are very few full sisters, if any, that she would have deliver a message like this in this way. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's just so much. And if if she wanted them to know this, why would it have not been in the information that Varen already gave them? That's a good point. That's something I hadn't thought about. But um, you know, it seems like because because it's been it's been a little while since they left, right? Since the sisters since, left? Since, since the black sisters left. They left the minute everything popped off with Rand and Falma. Okay, so yeah, it's been months? Yeah, something several like months. So, yeah, yeah, to think that this information could be should be included with anything that... They probably should have told him that herself. Yep. <laughs> so... Um, just makes everything a little bit extra fishy. 
Oh yeah. I, and no, I'm not trying to quote uh, Swan Sanchi on that one. <laughs> uh, so yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So Egwene makes tracks to catch elves. She doesn't catch elves. Instead, she catches what we will probably admit is Lanfear. No, it's Selene. Um, yeah. And what do you think about how Egwene reacts at seeing her? Because I, I, I think was, there's something more than a simple reaction going on here. Well, it's almost... Um, let me get to the right spot in my notes. I mean, she... You know, Lanfear gives her... You know, tells her to to leave. To go back the way she had come. And Egwene without really even thinking about it, just starts to comply. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked a few episodes ago, maybe last episode or the episode before, about compulsion. Yeah. But you mentioned that you didn't think Lanfear liked compulsion by, by some of the things that she said. So uh, I'm, I'm taking your... Uh, following your lead on that and saying, I don't think that's what's happening here. But it's it maybe my, my my thinking was it was just the the sheer force of her presence, like she yeah. has that that demeanor about herself that just causes people to obey. Yeah, I don't think what you're seeing here is direct compulsion. I think it is more something akin to. Okay, so we talked about how Lanhear is able here to disguise herself. Apparently. <laughs> um, I think what is happening here is something akin to what we saw Moraine do back in book one when they were uh, needing to leave, I think, yeah, Berlon. Okay. She grew huge and scared. Yeah. Did all that, made herself appear huge, echoed her voice and everything. Yeah. I think this is similar to that in that uh, in some way or another, Lanfear is projecting emotions and feelings onto Egwene. It is not compulsion. She is not giving other than the one time that she tells her to turn around. Uh, I don't think she is compulsion would be her specifically like giving a command right. that you're going to have to follow. I think right. what's happening here is just like Moraine altered what people perceived of her to make her herself appear huge. I think it is similar to that possibly channeling through spirit to influence how a person feels about someone else. Basically, I think she's implanting feelings and emotions. It isn't compulsion, but possibly something altogether worse, honestly. It's, yeah. it's a corrupting of a person's feelings about something or someone else. Yeah. It's not a complete removal of their free will, but it's more of a manipulation of the person themselves. Yeah. And in this case, it causes Egwene to comply without ever even thinking, without really thinking about it. Yeah. It's not until she, she gets a, a few feet, you know, a, a little further down the hall that she realizes what, what she's done and 
turns back to question Lanfear further and she's gone. Like, just gone. Yep. So, um, that's, uh, wow. This, this Lanfear character, character is uh, getting more frightening all the time. Yep. Uh, and, and, you know, I can see why her name is, is used almost like a boogeyman back in the two rivers. Uh, cause she is, she's quite frightening and she's just one of the forsaken. And yeah. there are others. I mean, we've met others, but, uh, and she's the m- most powerful among the women. Is that right? Is that what we've been led uh, to believe? In sheer power, yes. Okay. Uh, uh, she, Lanfear is remarkably powerful for a yeah. female channeler. Uh, the males are always, almost always more powerful, but Lanfear is just shy of like being on the same level as the dragon. Like okay. she is remarkably powerful for a female channeler. That's 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 something impressive and. I guess we're seeing some of that at work in yeah everything we've been seeing with her lately and uh that just brings back into question so many things that we've seen you know whether we knew it was Lanfear or we thought it was Celine or you know since we first met her there's been so much that um I kind of want to go back and read, but I don't have the time <laughs> just to kind of see if I can pick up on those patterns. Yeah. Uh, think what, what might be going on. Oh man. Um, you got anything more to say on, on this? Uh, no, I don't know what there is to say, except that, the girls are suspicious, and the more and more we learn, the more and more right they are to be suspicious. Yeah. Like, it definitely comes off in the like the last several chapters, it comes off as them being, like, super paranoid. But the more we learn, the more they're probably right to be paranoid. I, well, <laughs> uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a fine line between suspicion and paranoia. And I think you said it right. At first, it did seem like paranoia, but now it does seem like genuine suspicion. warranted suspicion and i'm starting to agree with him you're i'm i'm kind of starting to question things and people as well i'd never even thought of the possibility and i guess this i'll I'll make this my um i guess we'll go ahead and get into final thoughts because we're not going to get into chapter 26 tonight um no but i had never even considered the possibility that coriana nadeo could even possibly be black aja like that thought never in all the times that i've read you know parts of this series i've i've read you know parts of it a, a couple two or three times some of them but that thought never crossed my mind um yeah. and maybe i just didn't get far enough in the story <laughs> <laughs> um but that that has given me something new to think about as well as i i'm seeing you know, the pattern with the uh, Tirangrial that were stolen, how so many of them are so closely related. I, I'm really starting to doubt that 
they don't know what these things do. Yeah. I'm almost certain that they do. Yeah, um, they they make reference when uh, they're telling the girls about the fact that the uh, Terran Grell were stolen. They the way they word it when they're telling them about it is they make it sound like yes they tra- they broke into the warehouses where we store the Angriol and the Sangriol and the Terangriol, but they only managed to take the seized Terangriol because that. They couldn't get through the guards to get to the saw and the Angriol. In reality, I don't know if they were ever actually trying to go for the Angriol and the saw Angriol. I think it's worded like they almost, the other Aes Sedai and the Omerlin, thought that they basically grabbed a handful of Tar Angriol as like a consolation prize when they couldn't get the Angriol and the saw Angriol. Yeah. To me, I think this was their purpose. From the get-go. So you think the attempts at the others were just a diversion? or uh, I think I they mean, genuinely I, wanted to get them. Obviously, but they they, the if, they could, if they could get their hands on Angriol and Sangriol, by all means, do that. But yeah. uh, that just, like you said, that wasn't the main target. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you got any, uh, any other final thoughts? Uh, well, I want to say one more thing. Um, I hope that Matt finds his way out. For his sake, <laughs> yeah. But then at the same time, yeah. I also worry because I know that Matt still there's still reason for him to be in the tower. So, yeah, he's got a bad know. case of the munchies. Yeah, he's, he's worse than munchies. Let's say that. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts from you? Um, just that uh, as you have now seen, it is not beyond the realm of ability for one of the Forsaken to disguise themselves as someone else. Oh, that's frightening. So, just remember that, folks. Even the faces can be lies. Oh, that's so frightening. Well, like like we said, we found out that um, Els Grinwell has been Lanfear the whole time. So... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I don't actually believe that, but... Um, um, you never know. Uh, there could yeah. be somebody we met that has been a Forsaken the whole time. Uh, That's true. Celine's a or, perfect example of that. Celine came in as a friend, and we find out she's actually Forsaken. Or, I'll throw out, I'll make it even worse. Who's to say that someone they met is still who they met? That's how hard a, would it be for a forsaken to do away with someone and take their place? Mm. <laughs> mm. You gonna have me <laughs> suspicious of everybody. <laughs> uh, but we don't have time for that this week because we have got to wrap this episode up. Um, we're already going kind of long. Um, so we will go ahead and say thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you for those that come back, uh, every week and read along with us and listen as, you know, Stephen blows my mind with these theories and thoughts. (laughs) Uh, we really do appreciate you. And again, don't forget about our contest, uh, with the winner to be announced on our upcoming 50th 
episode. So if you uh, want to go back to the beginning of the episode and listen for how you enter that, please go and do that. We would love to have you um, enter that and get to know you, our listeners. And again, share it with a friend because uh, we want to grow our audience as well. You can, of course, um, follow us uh, wherever you get your podcast, and that way you will get your episodes when they are released every Tuesday. We'd also love it if you would rate and review on your podcast app of choice. If I, I know not all of them do reviews and ratings, but if you can, go ahead and leave us uh, one of those, and we would love to, that from you. Uh, join in with us on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook and, uh, we have a page on YouTube. We were just talking about that earlier. Got to, uh, we're going to work on that a little bit. We're on TikTok. Um, you can also email us. Uh, so, uh, those are all ways that you can reach out to us and interact with us in the meantime. Uh, so let's see. We didn't get to chapter 26 tonight, so what does that mean we're going to cover in next week's episode, Stephen? I think next week we will try and do 26 through 28. 26 through 28, okay. Um, Some interesting things probably going to happen in those chapters. I'm anxious to continue the story and find out where we go from here. But that is all that we have for this week. We want to thank you again for joining us and being with us. And we'll see you right back here next week. So long, everybody. Y'all have a wonderful rest of your week.